Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. On miracles. I explained it. I'll explain it shortly again, my reason for doing that. And that is that uh, several Wednesdays ago now, I... uh, delivered a word that I really believe was from the heart of God about taking a more uh, aggressive and purposeful posture toward believing for the miracle. We're always doctrinally, this is a church that has always embraced the miraculous, the supernatural, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, but is the, but n- if we want to see this, the operation of these things in our midst, we're going to have to be proactive about this. And so, and then right on the heels of that, it was either the next day or the day after, I think it was the next day, Durant's called wanting to schedule a meeting. That if they had called two days before, I would have said no, because three weeks after that, we already have Bob Yandian scheduled, and I don't like scheduling guest speakers that close together. But the, the uh, focus of their ministry is healings, miraculous healings. So I said, yeah, this sounds like an answer to prayer. This sounds like something that God uh, has orchestrated, especially in light of, of the very exciting service we had just had. So we scheduled them. And now, between now and when they come, the question is, uh, do we just drive through some other stuff? You know, the preaching and the, the word and, and our worship, it can all be good. But if we're expecting something, uh, is there something we can do? to, quote-unquote, create an atmosphere for miracles in our midst. So I decided what we would do, uh, and I broke it down this way, that we would look at the miracles of the Old Testament, which we did last week, and we look at the miracles of Jesus today, and then we will look at the miracles of the church age, which is the age we are still in, that began uh, after the ascension, the day of Pentecost. So... Uh, Again, if our purpose is creating an atmosphere for miracles, let's look and see what sort, of, uh, what sort of miracles were done in these three divisions, Old Testament, Jesus, and Church Age, and see if there was an atmosphere, if there was anything that people who received the miracle had to do with it. What's the purpose behind the miraculous? Now, one of the uh, overarching claims that I'm trying to address with all three of these messages is this. Because this is a claim that makes sense. I mean, I can see the logic in it. I just think it's biblically indefensible. And the claim is this, that the primary purpose for the miracle, in fact, I have heard it said by a minister and certainly by others, uh, one minister that I really like, and I'm sure it's said by others that I don't like, uh, who says that the, the only purpose, the whole purpose of the miracle in the old and New Testament is as an apologetic. And to further explain it, that Jesus did miracles to authenticate his claim to deity, that the apostles did miracles in order to authenticate their ministry, that God was establishing the church and he needed to let people know that he was, in fact, working through the the, the apostles, the apostolic ministry. And that, therefore, once the church was established and once the uh, Bible, once the canon was closed, there's no, no longer a need for this authentication because now we have the written word of God, which is, I agree, our sole source of doctrine. Okay, When it comes to doctrine, what we believe, we have to be able to find that in the word of God. I believe that, the, that God has miraculously, supernaturally preserved his word 
in the Old and New Testaments. However, that doesn't mean that God is not done that God is done speaking to us. It doesn't mean that God is done doing the miraculous in, in our midst. And it seems especially silly to say that now that we have the written word, we no longer need the miraculous to authenticate it. My contention is that the primary purpose of the miracle was never to authenticate a man or a word or even the deity of Jesus. Did miracles serve those purposes? It did. And I'm not saying that the miracle doesn't serve uh, uh, to authenticate, that it doesn't serve as an apologetic. I'm saying it's not the primary reason. I'm saying that God does miracles for other reasons. Jesus did miracles for other reasons. Now, uh, on the surface, uh, when we looked back at the... Let me quick recap. Last week when we looked at the Old Testament miracles, we saw that they were done not exclusively but overwhelmingly simply to meet the needs of people, and specifically the Israelites. Not only the Israelites. I mean, uh, you had other people who were the beneficiaries of God's supernatural works in their lives, but mostly he was simply... Fulfilling his promises, protecting his people, providing for his people, healing his people. Uh, uh, these were miracles of protection, deliverance, provision, healing. And if you, can go, you can go back and listen to it if you missed it. I'm not going to go down the list again. But it was a long list, even though it was a partial list. Today, we look at the miracles of Jesus. And on the surface, it might appear that the claim that Jesus did miracles to prove he was the Messiah is a little bit uh, easier to demonstrate. And we'll start with this. In John chapter 10... Jesus himself said this. Uh, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. He didn't say this, but we'll get to what he said. <laughs> In John 10, beginning verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. And if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Now, there's a strong indication here that what he's saying is not, hey, look at all these amazing works that I can do that nobody else can do, and therefore you should believe me. What he's saying is, you've seen the works that I do. Now, you're, you're calling this blasphemous. And they say, well, no, 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 it's not the works we're stoning you for. It's your claim. But look at the works themselves. Are these good works or are they evil works? They are clearly good works. They are clearly the work of God. So even though you're having a hard time swallowing this claim for now, even though you have a hard time embracing me as the Messiah, and that you have a hard time even with the term Son of God, would you look at the works and see what the logical conclusion is? See if the works I'm doing can lead you to the correct c conclusion. So certainly there's an apologetic element to the miracles of Jesus. No doubt about it, when we talk about miracles, when we talk about wonders, and we talk about signs, that word signs is significant. They point to the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, there, and we'll see next week, there's also an apologetic angle, uh, you know, an authentic, uh, authenticating angle to the miracles in the church age, the miraculous ministry today. But again, 
It's not my contention that they don't serve that. It's just that they don't primarily serve that purpose. And uh, I believe Scripture will bear this out. So let's run through some of the miracles of Jesus. Again, this will be an even more partial list. We have got a long, uh, there, there is quite a number of miracles that we could look at, and several of them. Uh, you could preach whole, uh, whole sermons, and probably some of them you could preach a whole series of sermons about. But let's just look at uh, some of them. And the first one, of course, first miracle was when Jesus was at the wedding in Cana, and he, they ran out of wine, and he did a miracle there. What did he do? He said, bring me two big jugs of water, and he turned the water into wine. Now, there were no conversions as a result of this. There was no worship as a result of this. He gained no followers as a result of this. It was just a blessing to the people there. He was made aware of a need, and he met the need. Uh, there was the great hall of fish. Jesus was teaching the people, and they crowded in on him, so he stepped up on a boat. It was Peter's boat, and he said, do me a favor, back up into the water a little bit, give me a little space, give me a platform. He was using Peter's boat as a pulpit, essentially. And then when he was done teaching, he told Peter, what? Cast out into the deep. And they did, and they caught a great number of fish to the point where their boats were nearly sinking. And what was the purpose for that? The primary reason. I believe it was simply to reward Peter. Thanks for letting me use your boat. Thanks for, you know, thanks for everything. But what happened as a result, Peter followed him. So there was certainly, there was the apologetic element as well. He saw something that caused him to follow him. Look at, uh, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to this one. I'll refer to a lot of miracles, but we don't have time to look them all up. Uh, But in Mark chapter 1, Beginning in uh, 21. says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now, it says he astonished the crowd in the synagogue with his teaching. He taught as one with authority. This is the first thing that astonished them. They weren't sitting there saying, eh, he's a pretty good expositor of the Old Testament scriptures. The scribes, they spent a lot of time comparing each other's writings about the scriptures. They did have an expertise about what the scriptures said. Jesus here is speaking as one with authority. It's almost as if he wrote them himself. Right? Here is the living word of God. Expounding on the written word of God. And they're impressed, and not just impressed, astonished at the authority of his teaching. Then there's a man in the synagogue 
with an unclean spirit who begins to cry out. I believe that this guy literally interrupted Jesus' teaching. He's teaching as one with authority, and there's a demonic presence in there that manifests itself. And what are the first words that Jesus said? Be quiet. Shut up. I'm teaching here. Be quiet and come out of him. Here's Jesus teaching authoritatively. He is exuding authority. And now suddenly there's opposition, and he immediately exercises the authority that he has been displaying and exuding. Here's a great example of practicing what he's been preaching and applying the authority that everybody was already impressed with. So I would say that this miracle was primarily for the deliverance of the man, but also very, very much of an apologetic. This will demonstrate that the authority I appear to have, I actually do have. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law was healed. This is still very early in Jesus' ministry. Now, Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John were in the house. They went to Peter's house, or, and, or Peter's mother-in-law's house, and Jesus healed her there. They were, according to the scripture... They're the only witnesses to this miracle. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And they were already followers of Jesus. So this wasn't something that was necessary to convert them. This was just meeting a need. Her fever broke, and it broke suddenly, and it broke completely, so that she rose up and served them. That very evening, he healed many, the word tells us, and cast out many demons. These people had heard about Jesus casting the demon out of the man at the synagogue. In this case, he was not teaching, and therefore he was not doing miracles. This is what I'm saying. It wasn't like he's teaching, he's gathered a crowd, and now there are people going, hmm, wonder if we can believe this. And so he starts healing people. He starts casting out demons to authenticate it. This wasn't the case. They didn't come to hear him teach. They came to be healed. They had heard about the synagogue. They may have heard about Peter's mother-in-law, but the crowds came, and he healed them. Again, this wasn't to authenticate a teaching. He was meeting the needs of the crowd. Uh, in uh, Mark chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, uh, he cleansed a leper and told him, strictly warned him, it says, not to tell anyone. And we'll come back to that. That's a strange command, but he tells him, don't tell anybody about this. Just go show yourself to the priest. Bring the correct offering, what the, what the, what the word tells you to bring for a healing. And then... Uh, he tells him, after he tells him, don't tell anybody, what's the guy do? He went out and told everybody. And what was the result of that? Uh, They started coming to him in droves. It says, at that point, people came to him from every direction. And uh, there's two things I want you to to notice, and and we might develop one of these a little bit later. He told the man, one reason he told him, don't go telling everybody, is because he came to teach, he came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Everywhere he went, he taught, he preached, and he healed. But he knew that once he cleansed this leper, because leprosy was the disease of the day, that people would crowd to him for healing. And it would be not impossible, nothing's impossible with God, but his focus needed to be, I'm going to the next place to teach, I'm going to the next crowd to teach, rather than being bogged down, as it were. That's kind of a crass way of putting it, which is what happened. People came to him. My point is this. They weren't coming to a teaching meeting. 
they gathered to him specifically to be healed. So the miracles then weren't done to convince anybody. They didn't come because they needed convincing. They came because they were already convinced. This is a huge difference. The difference will be crystal clear by the end of this message. But do you see that difference? They didn't come and say, oh, we heard something different. We, or we heard something interesting. Let's go hear this man's teaching and then see if he can authenticate that teaching with another miracle. They're like, this guy cleansed a leper. I've got leprosy. Or if he can cleanse leprosy, he can probably heal my blindness. And everybody's like, let's go see this guy. Let's go get our healing. They were already convinced, so they came to him in droves. And what did he do? He healed them. So um, then, what's the next one here? He healed the uh, centurion's servant. And Matthew uh, chapter 8 tells this story. You remember, he's walking, and the centurion comes to him and says, uh, and this is, now this is not a Jew, by the way. He's an officer in the Roman army. But he's got a good reputation among the Jews. He may, in fact, have been a Jewish proselyte. But he was the, the, the Jews loved him. He was a good man. And he tells Jesus, my servant is deathly sick at home. And Jesus said, shall I come heal him? And you remember what the centurion says? You don't need to do that. Just say the word. I understand authority. I've got men under me who have to do everything I say. And I'm under authority too. I have to do what my superiors tell me. I understand how this works. If you'll just say the word, I know my servant will be healed. And what did Jesus say? He tells everybody, I'm not even exaggerating. I have not seen faith like this in all Israel. And tells them, this is a great example of the kind of people from outside of Israel who are going to enter the kingdom of God because of their faith. While meanwhile, there will be Israelites, born Israelites, who are going to miss it because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief. Contrast that to how he dealt with the leper. Don't tell anybody. And this is also how he dealt with Jairus' daughter. Don't tell anybody. But he draws people's attention to the faith of this centurion. Uh, in fact, you remember Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. And he goes and gets, his, his daughter is dying of, the fe- of some fever or something. And he comes and gets Jesus, teacher, come, come to my house and heal my daughter. She's close to death. Uh, and, uh, and so Jesus goes and he heals her. She's dead. In fact, by the time he gets there, all the people are saying, too late, teacher, she's dead. And he says, everybody get out. Everybody be quiet. Get out of the house. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And he drives them out while they're all making fun of him. And he goes in there and says, rise. Child, arise. And she gets up. And he says, give her something to eat. And don't tell anybody about this. Now, that's a, there's another reason for that. I've, I've, and I've preached this before. Just by way of reminder, I tell you. You know, he told, uh, there was the one reason he told the leper, don't tell anybody about this. And I believe in that case it was, look, There's other things I need to do. I don't want people just rushing to me for healing. And then here's a connected reason. It's not a different reason. It's a connected reason. When he tells Jairus, don't go telling anybody about this. He was saying, I believe, and here's the connection to the leper, I don't want to train people that they need to be in my physical presence to be healed. Of course I can do it. 
And of course, when I'm in their physical presence, I will. He never, ever, ever turned anybody away. If you, if you can find an example of where he refused to heal somebody, let me know. But I haven't seen it. He healed them all. But he's telling them, this is not the best way to train people to do this. I don't want them to think it's, it, that it's magic. There's, there's a difference between the supernatural and magic. There's a difference between faith and magic. Now, when Jairus said what he said, that's when he stopped and said, Now, nah, this guy, this guy, this is who you want to imitate. This is faith right here. I don't even need to go to his house. He's receiving me at my word. This is what I want people to emulate, not Jairus, who he loved, who he met, whose need he met, whose daughter he healed. He didn't say shame on you. He said, this, this is not the one we want publicized. So we start to get a clue here. And the list, of course, uh, goes on and on. And what we see is Jesus healing all who come to him and casting out demons wherever he encounters them. What we do not see is Jesus walking into a town saying, Bring out ye sick! Bring out ye demon-possessed! He goes in and teaches, and when they come to him expecting to be healed, or expecting their child to be delivered, they get what they expect, what they believe for. He calmed the sea. And again, this was not a, hey guys, watch what I can do. See that storm out there? You think I've done some amazing things before. I know you've seen me heal. I know you've seen me feed thousands of people with a few uh, loaves of bread and a few fish. Watch this. Peace be still. He didn't. A couple of major things to notice. One is he's asleep in the boat. They came and got him. Oh, Lord, don't you care that we're all about to die? He takes time enough to rebuke them for their lack of faith. Why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? Peace be still. Calms the sea. But who's there to see this? Who's there to witness this? The other little boats. <laughs> That's a mystery that we'll address in some other uh, sermon, sister. No, he's in a boat with his disciples. They're already his disciples. They're already committed to him. They didn't need the apologetic. They just needed saving. They needed something to calm, them, calm their fears and get them out of this danger. So again, he was meeting a need. Now it did, it certainly did impress them. They're like, whoa, this is kind of next level stuff. But they, again, it wasn't a conversion. It wasn't an evangelistic thing. Uh, shortly after that, once they got into, onto the other side of the lake, he cast a large number of demons out of two men in Gadara. Uh, then we read about the healing of the paralytic. We'll also read this one in Luke chapter 5. This is one of my favorites. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay down before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through, this, through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, 
your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Now, notice that Jesus did not go to this place to heal the paralytic. He was teaching. And as he was teaching, it says, the power of God was present to heal them. Paralytic wasn't there yet. The power of God was present to heal. Who has, who's them? Well, the only people it names... And they weren't the only ones there, I'm sure, but the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. If they could have been receiving in faith what Jesus was teaching, I'm sure some of them needed healed. Maybe they weren't paralyzed. But the power of God was present to heal them. Now, Jesus did say, but that you may know. This is right before he healed the guy. Remember, he says, They've lowered this paralyzed guy through the roof, through the ceiling. And Jesus looks at him, seeing their faith, who? The faith of his friends. And looks at the guy on the, on the bed and says, your sins are forgiven you. You know that these guys did not lower him in on a stretcher for forgiveness. They lowered him in on a stretcher right in front of Jesus so that he could what? So that he could heal them. So he says... Your sins are forgiven you. And this immediately sets off the Pharisees. Well, nobody, we all know nobody can forgive sins but God. Nobody has that authority. So Jesus says, why are you reasoning like that? What's easier to say? Sure, it's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven because you don't see any evidence of that. But just so you know that I do have authority to forgive sins. And he says to the man, take up your bed and walk. And he does. Does anybody really think for a second that if the Pharisees weren't sitting there going, hmm, who can forgive sins but God, that Jesus wasn't going to heal this paralyzed guy? Do you think he only healed this guy because the Pharisees were doubting his ability to forgive? No. He, was, was Jesus going to heal this guy no matter what? Yes. So why does he start with the, your sins are forgiven you? I'll tell you why I'm convinced of this. The number one reason he told them that, told him that, was many people struggle with healing, struggle with receiving healing because they really struggle with receiving forgiveness. And even though the words are coming out of their mouth, I believe I'm healed, I believe God wants me healed, something deep down inside them is causing them to think, I really don't deserve this because of my sin. I brought this on myself. And even if they did, Jesus is still the healer. No, nothing. You're telling me that of, of the multitudes of people that Jesus healed, that none of them brought it on themselves? Technically, we all did with our sin, right? I mean, sin, we choose to participate in sin, and it's the sin nature that, that brings in sickness and everything else. But Jesus didn't, there wasn't some sort of triage there. Can't heal this guy. He's got liver disease because he drank too much. Your fault, buddy. See ya. Can't heal this guy. He's got a lung disease because he smoked too much. Sorry, you're disqualified. No! 
That's not how it works. But many people struggle with that, don't they? Even if there's not a direct causal relationship between a particular sin and a particular disease, we think, I'm really not good enough for this. So what's the first thing Jesus says? Your sins are forgiven, man. Now, take up your bed and walk. But it did also serve the purpose of, well, it kind of did and it kind of didn't. Jesus did say, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. But what was the outcome? Did we see uh, large-scale mass conversions of the Pharisees and the lawyers? By and large, they were still the enemies of the cross. They were the ones who disbelieved. So, as I mentioned, uh, well, he healed the woman with the issue of blood, and we will come back to that. He fed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. He fed 4,000 with a few loaves and fishes. And who did he feed? Those who were already there listening to him. Those who had followed him out to a place large enough for them to gather and listen to him. In other words, it wasn't so... This wasn't a fish sandwich outreach. Hey, everybody. Everybody that comes to hear Jesus today gets a free fish sandwich. There's nothing wrong with outreaches and things like that. Hey, a pizza night in the youth room, whatever. But that's not what Jesus was doing. They came out to hear him. The disciples said, hey, Lord, it's getting late. You ought to send them home so they can get something to eat. No, you give them something to eat. Let them stick around. And he does a miracle. Why? So he can continue to teach them. Not to gather a crowd, but to bless the crowd that was already there. Uh, let's see. Did he do anything else? seems like I'm missing a couple big ones here. He raised three people from the dead. Well, Jairus' daughter was one. Lazarus was another one. He, uh, there's, and the, he, you know, he didn't go in and, and, again, empty out the cemeteries. But he did raise people from the dead to show that there was absolutely no limit to his power. He really was aiming to get people to receive his promises just because he said them, to receive him at his word. He wasn't, as we pointed out recently, he was not merely doing miracles. He was training his disciples to do miracles. And when I say disciples, I don't mean just the 12 apostles. He sent out the 70 and gave them instructions to what? Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cast out demons. Let's read uh, another uh, story here in, in Matthew chapter 12, another account. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning in, first, uh, in verse uh, 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, if the primary purpose of the miraculous ministry of Jesus was to authenticate his claim to deity, keep that in mind, We want to see a sign from you. But he answered uh, and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
because they represented, uh, sorry, they repented at the, at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment, in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. This is really something. It wasn't like Jesus is doing his miracles in secret. Is it? He didn't say, oh, you need heal? Come over here. Let's go behind this tree. Let's go behind this building, and I'll heal you. He was healing multitudes. He healed the, 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 uh, the paralyzed man in a crowded room. So crowded they couldn't even get through the crowd. They had to come down on top of Jesus. He wasn't making a secret out of this. He never refused a healing, but when they came to him and said, show us a sign to prove you are who you say you are, what did he say? No. Why not, Jesus? Because that's not why I do these things. What moves me? Compassion. What moves, why do I heal the sick? Because I hate sickness and I love people. You seek a sign because you're evil. Look at what he said. The people of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment against this generation. Why? Because they repented at the miracles of Jonah. Is that what they repented at? No. They repented at Jonah's message. The queen of the south traveled a great distance to what? See the miracles of Solomon. No. To hear the wisdom of Solomon. They responded to wisdom. They responded to preaching. They responded to the word. And they're going to rise up against you because I'm a greater preacher than Jonah and I'm wiser than Solomon and you're not responding to me. I'm not going to give you a sign. If you're so blind that you can't see my wisdom and you can't hear the truth of this message, a sign isn't going to make any difference anyway. Do you know what would have happened if he'd done a sign right in their presence? What happened? What happened when an irrefutable miracle happened? What did they do? Did they say, well, guess we got to believe him now? What did they say? Well, devil can work miracles too. He's doing those things by the power of Satan. He's, he's even casting out demons by the power of the devil. When people say, you'll hear this even today. I've seen it many times. If all these miracles really happen, why doesn't somebody post a video? Why can't somebody show me documentation? And you talk about somebody who believes the Bible claims to be a Christian and says, prove to me there's a miracle. And if you offer them proof, do you know what they'll do? The same thing. Well, demons have power to do that stuff. That doesn't mean that preacher's right. So, I love that Jesus said in John five nineteen that he only does that which he sees the Father doing. I love this statement. And in John chapter 14, he tells Philip, we can look at this in John 14, beginning in verse 9. John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else... Believe me, for the sake of the works themselves. 
believe me, listen to what he's saying again, like he said earlier on, and uh, we talked about when he said to the, uh, uh, the, the, the Pharisees, I believe, he's not saying, don't believe me, believe me, not on account of I can do something that nobody else can do. But for the sake of the works, examine the works. Again, are these the works of the devil? Are these the works of God? Who can and would respond to sickness this way? Only God. Devil's not in the healing business. You know that many, many, many of the people that Jesus healed were sick because they were afflicted by the devil. They, they knew that there was a spiritual reason behind these, these uh, infirmities. So I love the fact that Jesus is stressing that he is doing these things everywhere he goes, casting out demons, healing the sick, because he does what he sees the Father doing. He tells Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the perfect representation of the Father. You want to know how God responds to sickness? Watch how I respond to sickness. This gets me fired up, and it gets me mad when people say, God laid this on me to teach me something. Uh, I haven't learned it yet, and I may die of this sickness before I learn this lesson, but I know it's God's will for me. And, I, and, my, and I, on one hand, I appreciate that steadfastness. I appreciate the faith. I don't get mad at them, but I get mad at the lie that's behind that. Because that's not how Jesus ever responded to sickness. And what did Jesus say? I respond to sickness the way God responds to sickness. Because I only do that which I see God in heaven doing. My Father in heaven. Again, I come back to that George MacDonald quote that I shared with you last week. The miracles of Jesus were the ordinary works of his father wrought small and swift so we might take them in. Finally, I think, and really this is the main point since we are talking about an atmosphere for miracles, read through the Gospels. It doesn't take long to read through one Gospel. Read one a day uh, next week and see what you come up with. Read through those Gospels. And read about the miracles that Jesus did and look at how many times he mentions the faith or the lack thereof of the people he's ministering to. Great example is the woman with the issue of blood who I made a passing reference to a a minute ago. He was actually on his way. Where was he going? Anybody remember? He's going to Jairus' house. Jairus comes in a panic. My daughter's close to death. Hurry. And while he's walking and there's a crowd walking with him, his disciples are kind of maybe acting as bodyguards. And this woman... She kind of tries to steal a miracle. She's just trying to sneak up there, and she said in her mind, I know if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She'd been hemorrhaging for 11 years, I think. Nothing could be done, but she knew if she just touched, that's all she wanted, just go up there and touch it. And she did. And she would have got away with it too, if it hadn't been for those meddling kids. No, she would have got away with it, except Jesus himself stops. He's on his way to heal a girl who's dying. He says, wait, somebody touched me. Who was it? The disciples are like, are you kidding? It could have been anybody. Look at this crowd. And there's the woman trembling. Oh, no, oh, no, it's me. I'm in trouble. And what did he say to her? Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. 
this ridiculous notion that Jesus, that's a mean thing to say, but it's an erroneous notion that Jesus did these things to authenticate his ministry. He wasn't teaching. He wasn't preaching. Nobody except Jesus even knew what this woman was doing. And when he did address her, he didn't say, that's the power of God. That's the miracle working power of me. Therefore, you know I'm the Messiah. No, your faith has healed you. There's so much wrapped up in that brief encounter with that woman. He tells the disciples, you couldn't cast out this demon because why? You didn't have any faith. You're afraid of the storm. Why? Because you don't have faith. And he talks about the centurion. I haven't seen such great faith in all Israel. He says this, be it unto you according to your faith. He says, all things are possible to him who believes. When he healed the paralytic, it said, what, do you remember what that? When he saw their faith. Now, the power of God was present to heal them. Them not being those guys. They weren't there yet. It was there to heal the Pharisees, the scribes, and whoever else was in that room. And then the friends lowered this guy in on the stretcher. And when he saw their faith, he was moved and healed the paralytic. Faith doesn't just move mountains. Faith moves God. Don't let that phrase scare you. That doesn't mean we control God with our faith. You know, I can't remember if it was Calvin who said this about the Bible. He said, talking about what people making a defense of the scripture. He says, how do you defend the Bible? He says, how do you defend a lion? Let it out of its cage. So when I say faith moves God, there's a very, this is a reality whether you like this idea or not. God is absolutely omnipotent. He is sovereign. But I say this for the thousandth time perhaps. In his sovereignty, he has limited himself to doing what we ask him and what we believe. So when people say, I mean, that is the short answer to why is there pain and suffering in the world if God is all good and all powerful. Because God has put a lot of responsibility on us as his moral agents to walk in and exercise faith. And when we, with our words and with our faith, agree with God, we essentially let him out of his cage. And that's how we move him. The very fact that multitudes came to him for healing was an act of faith on their part. And again, the only times that Jesus explicitly did not do miracles was when they demanded a sign, which absolutely runs counter to this idea that miracles were there basically to authenticate something. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began teaching in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what, is, what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are, are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. 
Now, he could do no mighty work there. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now notice, they mentioned the mighty works. Right? Where did this teaching come from? Where did he get these things? That such mighty works are performed by his hands. But it says he could do no mighty works there. So what are they talking about? They'd heard it. They'd heard about it. Oh, yeah, we've heard about this teacher, uh, this guy that does these mighty works. And then when he comes, it's like, well, wait a second. Not him. We know this guy. We know his family. And they were offended at the idea that somebody who came from their midst had this reputation of being a miracle worker. And so they doubted. Jesus, they doubted to such a degree that said Jesus marveled at their unbelief. It was like on the opposite end of the spectrum from the centurion. I've not seen such great faith in all Israel. And then right in his hometown, I've not seen worse faith in all Israel. You guys are the worst. So I'm going to teach you. He didn't kick the dust off his shoes. He taught. He went about in a circuit teaching them. So they heard about the mighty works, but they did not believe. Versus the people in Capernaum who what? When they heard about the demoniac being delivered in the synagogue, they flocked to him. I'm going to lay this on you. This is kind of uh, the core. And praise the worship team. I might as well be making your way up here because I really do need to be reminded that I'm wrapping up. The core of my message from three Wednesdays ago, I had written this message on, uh, it's called One Word of Testimony. And the Holy Spirit took us a different direction, so I didn't get to preach it. And then we got snowed out, and then we got snowed out again. So either God is trying to say, no, Scott, that's not a good message, don't preach that. Or the devil is trying to keep you from hearing this message. Or could be winter. So, but I'll say this. How we respond to a testimony might be the difference between receiving a miracle and not. What is the atmosphere for miracles? It's faith. It's not a particular song, it's not a particular musician, it's not a building. It's faith. Faith is how the kingdom of God operates. Faith, in this case, it's a confident, affirmative response to the promises God has made to his people. If God has done something for you that qualifies as a miraculous healing, you need to testify. Because God deserves the glory. And because the Bible is jammed with people who came to Jesus and got miracles because they heard about the miracle he did for somebody else. Your testimony can't save me, but your testimony can encourage me. Your testimony can't deliver me, but your testimony can cause me to take a step forward to the one who can deliver me. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.